the same week that a stupid guy said a stupid thing about Dr. Jill Biden, that Andrew Cuomo was accused of sexual harassment and it barely got a blink. Barely, <laughs> barely. You know, oh yeah, by the way, you know, like, can you imagine the same sort of treatment from a woman? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Power Up Women, our cross-generational conversation about leadership, power, and equity. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Dana Harvey. Our topic today is the deeply ingrained systemic sexism and, yes, misogyny that women at every level of their professions contend with, even governors and first ladies. Right. And our guest today was so fed up with it all that she wrote a very compelling commentary published in Fast Company magazine entitled Whitmer and Cuomo, a case study in American sexism, in which she laid out the very, very different news media coverage and public response to the pandemic leadership of our governor, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, versus that of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Kathleen Davis is a deputy editor of Fast Company Magazine, as well as the host of the podcast, Secrets of the Most Productive People. Welcome, Kathleen. Hi, thanks so much for having me. You know, uh, I've listened to several of your podcast episodes, which are absolutely fascinating. And so I discovered that we can call you Kate. Yeah. All right. (laughs) And that you are not only living in New York City these days, but from Michigan, which is our home base here. And so you had a pretty unique perspective, I think, about watching um, what you described in this article, the very, very different responses and, and media coverage to you know, how Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, not only handled the pandemic, but how people reacted to it. So you call it not only sexism, but plain misogyny. Mm -hmm. So for, let's say, our listeners who haven't had a chance to read this article, and I really encourage them to read it, set the stage for them. Um, What was your main point? Yeah, so um, I'm, as as you said, I'm born and raised in um, Michigan and went to college uh, in Michigan and then um, have been living in New York for 15 years for um, my career. And I actually recently just moved back to Michigan. So I'm, I'm living in Ann Arbor now. Oh, but, so I've, I've watched with it, with great interest, how Michigan is portrayed in the media and how people pay attention to Michigan. Um, and New York politics, and is certainly under Andrew Cuomo, who, you know, would be the first to admit he has a health, healthy ego has always kind of been the center of attention for for the nation. Um, and I was living in New York City during the epicenter of, you know, during during the height of the crisis. And I remember, you know, I will never forget how frightening it was. And, uh, you know, uh, Andrew Cuomo's briefings were nationally broadcast and like very quickly, you know, all eyes were on New York City. And, and in Michigan, you know, obviously things were bad, but they were nowhere near what it was like in New York. So, uh, you know, on a national stage, people didn't really pay attention to Michigan as they did New York until... Um, you know, as we all know, the, the nation was introduced to our governor in April with the protests at the state capitol from, due to her, her lockdown orders. So just the, the way that, that America was kind of introduced to Andrew Cuomo versus um, Gretchen Whitmer was, you know, Andrew Cuomo was the hero. He was saving us. He was lionized. And Gretchen Whitmer, it was like nobody knew who she was until they saw these armed protesters at her at the state capitol chanting the familiar lock her up 
And of course, our president fanned those flames. He was the one kind of encouraging that. And so Cuomo and Whitmer really kind of led their states in the same way. I think, you know, both of them did a, did a really good job in being, you know, taking a hard line on mask mandates, on keeping people safe. And by and large, constituents of both states really supported both of them. But you would never know that from the media coverage, right? Or you would never know that from the reception that the the way the president treated them. I mean, Trump is no fan of Cuomo, but he has a certain respect for him that he could never have for a woman. Um, and a lot of people, you know, when I make this point in the article and even after it came out, you know, I got some of this feedback on Twitter, the immediate reaction was, well, Michigan is a swing state and New York is so deeply blue. And that's why, you know, it's just, there's so many of these, you know, there's so many more Trumpsters in Michigan than there are in New York. And I push back on that because actually in the 2020 presidential election, Michigan lost 400, around 400,000 votes for Trump and um, New York gained around 400,000. There are no shortages of angry, don't tread on me, anti-maskers in New York. They just would never dream of having a plot to kidnap Andrew Cuomo. I mean, the the, you know, the, the point that I make in the article, too, is the, the path between sexist rhetoric and threats of violence mm -hmm. is a short and direct one for women in power. And clarify that, would you, because people may not know, if they're not from Michigan, that, yeah, not only the chance of lock her up by armed protesters at our state capitol, but an actual plot to kidnap, try, put on trial, and potentially murder our governor, uh, a very, very real plot, uh, which a number of men have been arrested in. Explain that as well. It's gone that far to really not just threats of violence, but um, deep danger. Yeah, and, and that's that's something, yeah, so, so as you said, you kind of laid out what happened. Um, and it was uncoincidentally, shortly after, you know, the, the battles that, that our governor is facing are not just, you know, in the on Twitter or, you know, from things that the president says or from angry, you know, protesters, they're from their limits on her actual power too. You know, when she was putting these life-saving measures in place, um, I believe some legislatures call it a power grab or, and the, the Michigan Supreme Court limited her use of executive powers to, for, for lockdown measures. I mean, she's, she's being undermined at every level and when those things keep happening, when that keeps happening, when you're hearing this, you know, all of the time, then she's also facing real, real threats of real violence, as is our Secretary of State, who after the, the um, presidential election, and there was the, the stop the steal, you know, the, the fraudulent or the calls of, of voter fraud, which did not happen, uh, our Secretary of State who is also a woman, faced protesters at her house at dark. I mean, these are real, and she and our governor, sorry to go back again, but our governor, she said in the Atlantic, after the kidnapping plot came out, she said, every single time President Trump mentions my name, I get more threats to of violence for myself and my family. And he used, President Trump used Gretchen Whitmer as a stand-in for Hillary Clinton in the 2020 election. He brought her up in the presidential debates. He was constantly using her as a specter of, you don't want this woman telling you what to do. 
there are levels to this. There are levels. And, and, and some people can relate to it from a personal or professional standpoint in the workplace. But this is the most extreme. These are the most extreme examples of how this not only media attention uh, comes into play, but also the treatment of women compared to men. So I love the way that you highlighted and laid that out. Um, but also related to your theme is the recent controversy regarding Dr. Jill Biden and using her title and how that misogyny and sexism um, was epitomized in this commentary by um, um, Mr. Epstein, who called her kiddo. I mean, the, interestingly, but not interestingly, another example right now in the media, national media, of how this impacts us. Um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel two ways about it. One, I, you know, when I read it, like, you know, I think a lot of us, I felt like blind rage, like this is ridiculous. How can you possibly be saying this? And as as it's kind of gone on, I'm like, why are we giving this this man so much air? You know, this like, it, like really what I feel like it comes down to is like a stupid man said a stupid thing and we're all paying attention to it. Like, why are we paying attention to it? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> also like if, if this is what passes for a scandal during the the biden administration like our current our current president <laughs> is like, committing actual literal crimes left right and center and we're spending a week talking about should you call somebody with a phd a doctor like it's right just, it's it's insane but it's yeah insane. it's the kind of it's the kind of like constant um cut downs that that women constantly face you know of like oh you're so cute you're not really you know to be taken seriously sort of thing and yeah i mean it just and and to get to get back to the you know the difference again i think i, I kind of didn't didn't highlight um the difference in cuomo and, and whitmer quite as much their leadership was almost identical right like their what they did was almost identical um but the reception that they got, you know, we talked about the threats of violence that she got. We talked about the lock her up chance. We talked about like all of those things. He, meanwhile, fawning interview after fawning interview, uh, asked constantly, are you going to run for president? Right. He, he has, we are in the height of the, of the crisis still, you know, there's the numbers are going up. He's written a book about how great his leadership was. And he's doing a victory lap about a crisis that's still happening. Yeah. So he totally took advantage of the national, his, his, his um, press conferences were broadcast nationally. We mm -hmm. all saw them across the country. So now he's running with it. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like, can you imagine, you know, every, everything that you think of there, can you imagine a woman writing a book about what a great job she did in the middle of the crisis that's still happening. Oh my gosh. Can yeah. You imagine her like she would be drawn and quartered. Like yeah. yourself on the back that much, you know, and, and then, the, you know, the other part of that is the, is the mistakes that, that they're allowed. So, you know, I think famously and Trump brought this up even again in the presidential debate, the, the comment that the governor's husband made about, you know, can mm -hmm. he get his vote out early? Right. Not a great, not a great look, but again, not, you know, not the, the biggest thing ever in the world and also not something she even did. Right. I'm sure she took him to the, the woodshed on that you one. Know, like yeah. she's, she's constantly asked to answer for that. Meanwhile, the biggest most notable mistake that Andrew Cuomo made during the crisis cost thousands of people's lives. He, in, in March and April ordered uh, COVID-19 positive patients to go to nursing homes and 
around 6,000 nursing home patients died between March and April before he reversed the order because he got so much criticism from medical experts. And he's gotten a lot of criticism for that, but like clearly it hasn't tarnished his image. He then wrote a book and got fawning interviews and went on a publicity tour, you know? And I believe there's some sexual harassment. Uh, exactly. Yes. And yeah. Charges exactly. out there. So, and that's the other thing. So that's so interesting because the same week that a stupid guy said a stupid thing about Dr. Jill Biden, that Andrew Cuomo was accused of sexual harassment and it barely got a blink. Barely, like, barely. You know, oh yeah, by the way, you know, like, can you imagine the same sort of treatment from a woman? You know, and I think that's the point is these are major examples of the kind of awful things that um, very, very accomplished women leaders have to contend with. But I think it's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of no matter your level of accomplishment and credentials and skills and leadership, um, it, it, no woman is exempt. That it's really, um, you know, systemic sexism and yes, misogyny that is alive and well in America. The other piece of it is the way then that we are expected to swallow it or dance mm. around it or, or deal with it or, or grin and bear it, you know, yeah. like there's, there's no, there's no place to get angry. And, and I think another, you know, good example of that. And I, I'm, I'm ner I'm excited, you know, obviously that uh, Kamala Harris is, is going to be our first woman and first woman of color vice president, I'm, but I'm, I'm nervous about what's going the, sort of tone policing and and criticism <laughs> that she is going to receive at every level for everything she does and i think a great example of that is looking at the the debates that just happened in the fall every time that joe biden said will you shut up man and got angry and yelled at trump all of us were like yeah that's right like that's the way you should talk to him can you imagine kamala harris telling mike pence to shut up of course right right say, she had to say, excuse me, I'm speaking, excuse me, I'm speaking, which every woman who's- Well, she didn't say, excuse me. I don't believe she said, excuse me. Didn't, did, didn't she say, I'm speaking, or that's the way we should say it, right? I'm speaking. But that's, but every woman who's ever been in a meeting with a man who's talking over her, like felt that moment. Felt yes. That moment. I and I, you know. I think she dealt with that um, during her Democratic- um, um, candidate debates earlier on when she expressed some enhanced level of, of passion and mm -hmm. she was absolutely persecuted in the in the way that you are speaking of now. So it is definitely going to be an issue for her moving forward. Mm -hmm. And especially, I mean, it's especially more another layer on top of it, right? As a black woman, because you, then she can quickly be labeled as an angry black woman. And she will. Yeah. She will be labeled as such. It's unfortunate. Can we talk a little bit about generational differences and how we see this sexism and misogynistic um, behaviors um, play out? You know, and I just wonder, you know, what will the next level of this be when, um, you know, these generations move through the workplace or in leadership, you know, how that will play out? Um, and will we still have to deal with it? And earlier you mentioned drawing attention to it gives more rise to it, or do we draw attention to it, highlight, highlight, highlight in order to bring it down? What will that look generationally? Any thoughts on that? 
I wrote the essay, you know, because, and a lot of people are like, yeah, duh, this is obvious. We all know this, but I think we, we do have to continue to call it out when we see it and call out the hypocrisy when we see it, because I think maybe people are like, well, yeah, women face sexism, but you know, it's not that bad or whatever. But when you, when you draw the two comparisons, like, look, these are two people in the same job doing the same thing and look at how vastly different they are treated. And I think too, a lot, a lot of times we have the goal of representation, right? And especially when we talk about diversity at work or, you know, numbers of, of women on boards, number of like, what, what's your, what's your ratio? And so, you, so a lot of people, I think, think, okay, well, when we have 50-50 representation or when we have more women or people of color, then like things are solved. Well, no, they're not solved. Things are solved when a woman is allowed to get angry as a man is allowed to get angry. When a woman is allowed to brag about their accomplishments without, you know, the, the way that a man is. When, and when they can do all of this without fear for their lives, right? Um, and I do think that it's getting better in, in a way. I think that, that younger men are more aware of this, but I wouldn't, place it so easily to say oh well this is older men and younger men are more you know for lack of a better word are more woke and they get it more right because the the men that were involved in the kidnapping plot against the governor were <laughs> most of them were in their 30s you know they were yeah. millennials and and there's there's also um there's been studies that like millennial men for example say that they want to be more have more equitable marriages. They want to be more involved in childcare. They want to be more involved in housework. They say that, but then it's not how it plays out in their actual relationships. So I, I think there is hope. I think that, that younger men are maybe more aware of these issues, but I don't think it's a issue that's just going to solve itself on its own. You know, and that actually brings me to um, one of the podcast episodes that you just did about this exact topic. And um, this is your podcast that you host, Kate, <laughs> Secrets of the Most Productive People, Fast Companies podcast. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about that, because I thought it was fascinating. And it really was about, uh, we all know that the uh, women carry much greater load at home, which mm -hmm. has all been, you know, multiplied uh, by this pandemic. Mm -hmm. But also you and your guests were talking about uh, not just the normal caregiving and running a household kind of stuff, but even the emotional mm -hmm. uh, caregiving that women do at home and at work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, the, the episode was with uh, Gemma Hardley, who wrote a book called Fed Up. Um, about emotional labor and emotional labor is kind of the invis invisible work as you said that that falls almost completely on women um, both at home and at work so it's the sort of things um, like remembering everything keeping the to-do list reminding about tasks remembering about the birthday cards and the events and keeping the calendar updated and just this like exhausting litany of things that need to be done and even if you delegate it out it's still on your mind and then you have to check up on it and then you have to follow up on it and it's it's invisible it's unrecognized and it's unpaid and it falls very largely on women and it happens a lot in the workplace too i mean think of who is sending out calendar invites who is scheduling things who is taking notes in meetings like all of those things that normally fall on women they're thankless jobs they're their work that does not get you a promotion um and and the imbalance, and you know, and especially when you talk about how it's changed during the pandemic, we've seen that hugely in now with kids at home doing remote school, 
if there's two parents that are working and if they're lucky enough to be able to work at home, who do you think is the one that's always helping the kids by and large with their homeschooling? Who is still doing all of the housework? Who is doing all of those things while trying to hold down their full-time job? It's yeah. usually, the, it's usually the, the woman in the relationship. And we've seen the repercussions of that have been incredibly detrimental to women's careers to the tune of hundreds of thousands of women have dropped out of the workforce in the last few months alone. And the reason for that is because they reach a breaking point, right? And when you reach a breaking point in not being able to do it all, you take a, a financial look and because of the gender wage gap, by and large, women's salaries are the ones that are lower. And so when your family has to make a decision as to something's got to give, what's going to give, the woman's job is going to give. Yeah. 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 Ann and I have, have talked about that, you know, the impact of that, not only in the moment, but um, moving forward, how difficult that is going to be on, on women uh, recovering mm -hmm. um, and, and being able to be productive in their lives in, 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 the, work, in the workplace. Yeah, so we've, we've had experts, you know, we've talked to experts at Fast Company that have said that it has set women's career progress back decades. Wow, that's so wow, discouraging. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. Do you have so, a last question for Kate? Sorry, yeah. sorry, we have so many questions for I mean, Kate. I'm afraid so much. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's talk about um, what's on the horizon for you, Kate. Um, you know, given your, your um, deep dives into some of the things that help people work more effectively, um, what have you learned that you think... Um, we all should know and pay attention to, and how are you applying that, applying that to you and your plans moving forward once we're all able to emerge past this, this historic, unprecedented uh, pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the pandemic has really taken all of the issues that were already there, and it's just pushed them to the forefront. And we did, we did a series on uh, the Secrets of the Most Productive People podcast in the fall called Reinventing Education, where we took a look at the, the education crisis now. And we, look, we looked at it from, we had an episode where we talked to teachers, we had an episode where we talked to parents, um, we had an episode where we talked to an epidemiologist. We, we looked at like what it means long-term for the impact on, on families and women working and for students and their career and you know their long-term learning and the, the inequality gaps that are just getting larger. And, you know, when we saw that with the social justice protests in, in the summer, these issues have always been there. Black Lives Matter movement all, all existed for years. Um, inequality at work and, and diversity existed for years, but all of these issues are just being pushed to the forefront that we've kind of reached the point of no return. You know, this, we, we recently did a podcast episode called um, 2020, the year that changed everything. And it really did, it changed yeah. So there's no kind of going back to, to the way things were before. That's right. Um, so in 2021, we're actually focusing um, Secrets of the Most Productive People. I will announce it here first. Um, All right. Is, Great. Is, is changing our name. The podcast name will be The New Way We Work. And we are, we are going to focus on building a new, uh, more just workplace. So over the, the first season of, of 2021, we'll be looking at kind of the a couple of the main areas of building a more just workplace and just kind of dipping dipping into them. So we're going to look at um, racial diversity at work. We're going to look at gender at work. We're going to look at ability and disability at work. And we're going to look at LGBTQ 
uh, issues at work and kind of start to start to explore where we are and where we can go. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Well, I have already subscribed and I will uh, keep, keep listening. Uh, so thank you so much, Kathleen Davis, uh, for being with us. We loved having you. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Kathleen Kate Davis, uh, deputy editor of Fast Company Magazine, is also the host of the Fast Company podcast, which has been called Secrets of the Most Productive People, and she just announced here it will be called in 2021, uh, The New Way We Work. I'm Ann Doyle. And I'm Dana Harvey. Our thanks to Robin Kenny and her Motor City Woman Studio here in Detroit for producing Power Up Women. And let's That's all go. Power up. Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll subscribe and share us with your network. And Dana and I would love to hear from you through LinkedIn or Facebook. And remember, power is the currency for getting things done. Claim yours and put it to work.